The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Good afternoon. Uh, this is your official substitute guest host for the official guest host for the great prophet Mark Stein, P-B-U-H, pocket squares be upon him and good health be upon him. Welcome everyone who's listening to our live Q&A around the planet. Uh, we appreciate very much that you've tuned in on your Friday afternoon. Hope it is as sunny as it is wherever you are, um, I guess in Eastern time zone at least, and that you're having a good day so far, I will try very hard not to wreck your day with bad news and gloom and doom from around the interwebs. Uh, we're going to try to take a bunch of your questions today. It is a lovely July 14th, a sunny afternoon here in Southern Ontario. And um, you guys are stuck with me for the next hour and a bit because the Mark Stein cruisers, in, including, of course, our fearless leader, are either just getting back onto dry land or are just about to wrap up the Mark Stein cruise. So they are otherwise occupied with matters um, and are not able to get to a reliable studio or Wi-Fi or whatever. So yes, it is your uppity Jewish mother here with you another Friday afternoon. Uh, I am coming to you in the midst of various bits of domestic bliss and domestic hell. Uh, had a little bit of technical uh, disturbance in the force field. Um, those of you who know already that I have a special needs son, um, anybody who knows special needs knows that that world is quite unpredictable. So, um, we've had some issues, a little bit of behavior that's been, uh, kind of hard to manage and challenging, but nonetheless, the show must go on. And I am really delighted and honored to be with you guys here today. And I hope that everybody on the cruise had an amazing time. Still so very happy that this was able to go on. And um, it's just a great sign that something, some things have gone uh, back to sort of normal. And uh, hoping also to hear good news about uh, Mark's continued recovery and good health from all of what he went through just before the cruise departed. So let us get on to the meat of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we've got some questions about American politics. We've got some questions about the state of uh, Joe Biden's brain, uh, Mr. President Pudding Brain. And I wanted to ask you guys, just because, again, I've had a few of these really tough and challenging afternoons and mornings um, in the parenting department and with other assorted family and sandwich generation uh, issues, who do you guys turn to when you are feeling down? Are you people of faith? Do you turn to God? Do you have best friends, 
that you can talk to siblings. I'm always very interested to hear what people's sources of strength are when they feel very down. Um, do you listen to music? Do you go for a walk? What are your go-to uh, tools to get through the hard times and the hard days? I think it would be interesting to hear from you guys if you want to drop some comments um, in the comment box. Again, Mark Stein Club members are the ones who are leaving us these wonderful questions. And of course, everybody else around the world um, can listen in and you can download if you're not listening live. For me, I'll tell you, there's a lot of, um, it's interesting, there's a lot of um, people from the Orthodox Jewish community that normally uh, they would shy away, I think, from social media just for general purposes. But a lot of religious leaders have found that social media can be a really good tool, inspirational tool. And um, it's really funny to me to see how many rabbis are on and how many um, church leaders are on social media. And I do find that there's a lot of inspirational stuff out there, a lot of really good food for thought, a lot of cross-pollinization. Um, like today I saw a clip where Rabbi Manus Friedman, a rabbi that I like from Chabad, was quoting something that Jordan Peterson said and something that Steve Harvey said and then adding his own bits. And I, I just, I kind of like the idea that all these interesting and smart and inspirational people are kind of connecting with each other through social media, even if they haven't met one another. So I thought I would just toss that out there and maybe you guys could let me know what you think about it. And um, if you feel like it, drop me a little note and tell me what you think about the go-to people. Um, I can also share with you that I did have a very uh, good friend in uh, Kathy Shadle, our uh, the late Kathy Shadle, who who was certainly my go-to. And uh, definitely I can say that it has not gotten much easier to not have a friend like that. Uh, I am comforted, of course, by her memory. But uh, boy, would I ever, in the past few months especially, uh, weeks, would have loved to have her to turn to and to talk to. So everybody out there who still has a best friend, um, that solid friend or two or three that you guys have, treasure them, tell them how much you love them and how much they mean to you. Um, it's just astonishing how quickly things can go awry in life and then you're left without people who were your anchors. So uh, we're going to go now to some of your questions. And as I said, hopefully it won't be too much of a downer and feel free to comment on stuff. If you take issue with anything that I've said or my perspective, I am certainly interested in hearing yours. And we do have the best part of an hour to get to all of your great questions. So we're going to start off with a question from Simon Arnold. Hi, Simon. Thank you so much for your question. And also thanks for, you're such a good guy on Twitter. You always retweet from Mark and from myself. So appreciate that. We see you. Uh, Simon Ar Arnold says, Hi, Laura. I wonder what can be done regarding all the wrong leaders around the world, many diversions going around. It's difficult to separate the corruption from the lies. Something is seriously wrong no matter where you are. That's a really uh, good point um, question as well. Uh, a lot of good thoughts in there, Simon. Um, I also am very worried about these issues that you've just brought up. And um, I've mentioned previously, and I wrote a lot about it, that I felt like during COVID, even in the beginning weeks, I felt so strange and so um, 
I couldn't even really describe how I was feeling, just like that, this evil cloud, this darkness. I felt a sense of, of trepidation, of worry, nothing like I had ever really experienced in my whole life. And then as things began to close even further and all these arbitrary policies and lockdowns were put into place, it felt so oppressive and so supernatural. And um, that's what was happening to us, this um, conglomeration of evil forces, whether it was government or big pharma and tech and all of them working together to suppress speech, suppress assembly of humans, take away religious assembly, all these horribly anti-human and creepy things. And I still haven't shaken that dark cloud feeling. And I think what I, I called it the big evil blob and all kinds of other names. So I think what you're pointing to is there really is an unavoidable um, conclusion that we have to reach that there are dark forces, human and um, I, I think it is sort of supernatural evil vibes um, that are, are, are coalescing and meeting one another and enacting very, very bad uh, anti-human things. And there's very few uh, enlightened and pro-freedom leaders who are in office who are helping with the fight. There are so many politicians who are so severely compromised, so ideologically in line with China or power drunk or a combination of all of the above. And it is really scary because the COVID years showed us that most people will go along without a fight. Most people seem to value safety over personal freedom and personal uh, liberty and the affiliated risks that a life filled with that entails. So I agree with you. I think that there are certain leaders that are showing some moral fortitude. Um, I personally think that Netanyahu in Israel has some of those qualities. Um, Hungary is showing some backbone. Um, Poland, uh, you know, other parts of Eastern Europe. There are individual politicians in America that I think who have some inclination about the depths of what is going on. But I don't feel like there's somebody who has a tremendously deep sense about the dangers that we are all facing and how quickly, um, you know, the black, they talked about the black curtain in um, the Soviet Union, the iron curtain, the black curtain, and, and we are experiencing a black curtain, um, a political black curtain and a technical one and a digital one. And it really is going to take a lot of coordinated effort and more more pushback than has been uh, sustained up to this point on the part of many in order to keep pushing back and make sure that this darkness um, is banished. Uh, I think the truckers were a fantastic example of, of how to do that. They, th they were thinking big and they weren't scared and they got a lot of media coverage and I, I feel incredibly indebted to the Canadian truckers who I think in turn inspired other truckers, but also who inspired the Dutch farmers, for example. So we need to think big. And at the same time, I think we also have to be very forgiving of imperfect leaders that come along the way to push at least part of the freedom agenda forward. 
And um, I think Mark talked a lot about that in a previous Q&A when he discussed Niall Farage and the banking and when Katie Hopkins came on to Mark's show to talk about um, her experience about being depersoned and debanked and cancelled and Tommy Robinson. So Mark's emphasis was on the fact that they they were the canaries in the coal mine of all this experimentation in complete freedom deprivation. It's like it's like um, digital and societal solitary confinement by politicians and tech leaders, etc. And we have to really recognize, I think, what Mark said is that we're not going to have the perfect poster children for these fights. So it, this is also why I get absolutely befuddled by some of the Twitter wars between people in the DeSantis camp and people in the Trump camp. I mean, they are fighting to the death online and they've, they've staked out their, their territory and they've, you know, like a cat just sort of pissed, pished out their, their lines. And it seems really weird to me. Um, I guess they're fighting it out for the leadership role, but I feel like a lot more people have to be a lot more forgiving of some of the faults, the very human faults in people who are generally um, on the right side of things. So Simon, that's a rather long-winded answer uh, to your question, which was sort of more of a comment, but I do thank you for that. Um, let us move along, see what we have down here. Um, we have a question from Chris Davies. Um, Chris, I can't recall actually, are you a fellow Canuck? I can't remember. But anyways, we're going to take Chris Davies' question. So thank you for being here, Chris. Hi, Laura. I hope you're enjoying the hot seat. Having watched Tucker Carlson's interview of Andrew Tate, I'm a fully paid up member of the Masculine Excellence fan club. Is this my toxic masculinity or plain old common sense? Keep well, Laura. Thank you, Chris, for that question, for that um, comment and question. So you make a lot of sense. Um, I am a big favor of traditional gender roles. I have to confess that I haven't watched Tucker's interview with Andrew Tate, but I am definitely going to watch it because I think that um, what I've seen of Andrew Tate probably is really not anywhere near the full picture. And I tend to like to listen to people in the first person discuss their experiences and their opinions and not go by secondhand or thirdhand or all kinds of um, internet editorial on what happened. Uh, so I will check it out. I think it, it looked rather long. It looked like it was uh, at least over an hour or maybe an hour and a half, but I'm, I'm definitely going to check that out. In terms of um, masculine and feminine roles, I think that really one... Now, I, I come to this, obviously, everybody understands that I come to this as, as a Jew, a Jew, and a, a traditional Jew, and um, Orthodox practicing. And so my uh, beliefs are very much rooted in traditional roles of men and women, and appreciating the difference between men and women, appreciating what God has given men and women separately, and that they're not competing with one another, that they're complementing each other, and that each of men and women has God-given strengths and weaknesses, and one cannot be the other. It doesn't matter what all these crazy woke trans people, woke stapo people are saying to you, and that we just have to look back into nature 
And if more people looked back into nature and to what their role is in humanity, just from the point of their biological sex, I think that there would be a lot more peace in the world. And um, I know I keep talking about Rabbi Man Manus Friedman, but really he does, a, he does a lot of stuff about this, how men, you know, it's not just that men are the protectors. He talks about men as the givers and women of the receivers. And that doesn't mean that there's any lessening of the importance of those things. Women are nurturers. Men need respect. And I think women need admiration and men need to be admired and respected. And there's a reason why up until five minutes ago, you know, kindergarten teachers, nurses were mostly women. It's not a bad thing. There's a reason why combat fighters and all these people in dangerous trades are men. There's a reason for it. And the more people try to ignore it and bury it and change it and chemically try to insist upon it, the more misery there will be in the world. It seems to me so basic. And the people that I encounter, whether it's online or in person, the more people bang their head against the wall about these things, the more unhappy they are. So I think that um, it's really important to just go back to basics on so many things. Um, you know, I was talking earlier about having had a really hard week and my siblings have had a really hard time and my dad is, my mom's going through a hard time. Like there's just a lot of stuff going on for us. And sometimes all I can counsel is to go back to basics. And what I mean by that is make sure you've had something to eat. Make sure you try to get a little bit of rest. Make sure you breathe. Make sure you get a little bit of fresh air. The basic things that make a human run and tick. And the basic things that make our society and our civilization, and when I say civilization, I mean the Judeo-Christian civilization, run and tick. It's appreciating men and women and their there are separate and beautiful and complementary rules in the world. Men as protectors, women as nurturers. Women are so blessed to be able to bring life into the world. I don't know if you guys know this, but um, kosher meat, um, in order for meat to be kosher, it's slaughtered. It's not electrocuted or beaten. And it's a very, it's, it's a, a rabbi or a learned person who does the ritual slaughtering in a certain way and there women cannot be ritual slaughterers they can it is forbidden by jewish law to do that. that that's not a sexist thing it's a recognition that women are the givers of life <coughs> excuse me we give life and we don't take it away and that's human nature that's what god gave to us this incredible blessing this incredible opportunity to be a partner in creation and that's to me seems um, to lead into why it is so devastating for women to go through abortions. It's devastating for women to go through miscarriage and lose a life, to lose a baby. And even if it's a quote choice, it is very bad for women's mental health and their well-being and their spiritual well-being. It's it's a torment. So. Uh, Again, another rather long-winded approach to this male and female thing. But, you know, women have been sold a, a, a lot of goods from the feminist movement, and it hasn't made them happier. There's more kids out of wedlock, 
more single mothers, more chance that, quote, mom's boyfriend will be an abuser. It happens all the time. This was something that Kathy Shadel pointed out repeatedly. If you see a news story and a child's been abused and it's always like mom's boyfriend. And there's a reason that moms and dads should be together in protecting their children. And actually, this has also made me rethink. I, I'm not above changing my mind on certain big things, but um, I've completely changed my mind on kids' sleepovers recently because I used to think that it was great and fun and it was like it's like a North American rite of passage. And my husband was always very sort of puzzled, not weary, but puzzled why anybody would want to sleep at somebody else's house. And I was like, oh, it's, you know, it's just a thing that we do. It's slumber parties and birthday parties and whatever. But lately I've been reading various other parents and my kids are old now, so it's not affecting me, but this is certainly something that I would pass along for grandchildren or for anybody else who has children who are younger or school-age kids, that sleepovers are really um, not such a great idea. It's, it's like, it's a possibility, a possibility for predatory behavior to happen. And thinking back even to my own experience at sleepovers, I never used to like that I couldn't go to sleep when I wanted. Everybody kept me up. I was very square always. And um, But now that I think about it, and other people have pointed out that it just takes one bad guest to be around or one bad relative or one, one bad person or brother or sister. And so your children are safest with you at home. And they're safest with mom being the nurturer and dad being the protector. That doesn't mean mom can't go out to work and that dad can't um, be taking care of the kids or shared responsibilities or shopping or, you know, cooking and cleaning and whatever. But let's go back to the basics of identifying our roles. Um, that's what I think about that. It's a mouthful, right, Chris? Um, so I will definitely try to uh, check out the Andrew Tate interview. And I'm, I'm really delighted, actually, that the Twitter format is working out for, for Tucker. <laughs> Not that I have any personal or vested interest. I just think it's really interesting to watch and see how this new medium is serving under Elon Musk's uh, guidance, how it is serving Tucker's purposes seems to be going quite well. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. And now, of course, I got to take a little sip of water. It's a uh, it's pretty nice here, but it's it is just astonishing how blab blab blabbing for a 20 minute straight can uh, kind of dry you out. So just bear with me for a sec. And we will go along to uh, Alyssa Angel. Alyssa, thank you so much for your question. Alyssa says, Laura, would you be surprised that 23andMe now allows customers to distinguish between their sex assigned at birth and their gender? See 23andMe's webpage. I saw your tweet connected to a 23andMe DNA, DNA test subject who was upset that his Y chromosome showed up on his report despite the fact that he self-identified as a woman OMG, indeed. What do you think about 23andMe going along with this nonsense for its customers? That's a really, thanks, Alyssa, so much for this question. Yeah, I think it was yesterday or the day before I spotted on Twitter this completely, like completely mental tweet. Somebody had, I, I think it was uploaded to Reddit, maybe. I can't remember where this rando person was getting uh, internet advice from. But he, a biological male, had done a 23andMe, you know, the genetic testing. 
and was very upset that it showed from his genetic code, Dedoy, that he had a Y chromosome and he was like kicking up a fuss because he identifies as a woman. So like, what the heck, genes? Why are you betraying me, gene code? And, um, you know, there were all the Yas Queen replies and a lot of people. So it looks to me, I guess Alyssa is reporting to us that 23andMe is perfectly comfortable 100% disregarding actual genetics of person's sex, the X and Y thing, in order to pacify people who are cuckoo, completely cuckoo. So they're going on the cuckoo train and it is so preposterous. It is literally the thing that will identify somebody who's been dead for years, decades, millennia, for a million, gazillion, billion years if you have a sample of their bones or genes. I mean, scientists, you can back me up on this, anybody who's listening, but that they are going against reality. And you know what? That is exactly what these nutters, these tyrannical nutters want to do. Force you to swallow lies just complete lies. So anybody that goes along with it is part of the problem. This 23andMe thing is disgusting. It is reprehensible. And hopefully it will also follow the go woke, go broke motto because it is absolutely insane. It is insane. So what else can I say about this? Um, I guess I'm not surprised, but Still, it is perturbing to never reach the low bar on this stuff. I don't know when we are going to get to the end of this trans madness. This is a pretty good um, sign that it is out of control. It is out of control when a genetics company is lying about genetics. So I don't know why anybody would want to spend their money. I also don't know why anybody wants their genetic material, you know, in Google's hands, which I think is, if you read the fine print, what happens, like I get it, there's a lot of heartwarming stories and family reunions that have come out of this. There's also a lot of really awful like betrayal stories where somebody does a, a test and they find out that their dad's not their dad and their mom's not their mom and God forbid, even more about, like there's these really whack stories like I think in Britain, I've seen a few where like, people discover that their boyfriend is their sibling. I mean, when you get into the realm of like, you know, incest and stuff, it's pretty bad. So anyways, uh, again, certain reasons why traditional families are the best for humans. Uh, sue me. Okay, let us uh, go along, see what else we've got in here. We have a rather long question from Sandra Robinson. Hi, Sandra. Thank you so much. I don't know also where you're coming from. If anybody wants to like, let me know if I don't know where they're at geographically, it's kind of cool to know that. And also uh, it can kind of help me uh, in terms of like getting the scope of like what's happening in your neck of the woods. So let's go, Sandra. Hi, Laura why I believe it would be wrong for allies, including UK, to wash their hands of the invasion, war, and genocide of Ukraine by Russia. Okay, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this. 
Whatever corruption has been committed by individual WEF members, financers in helping to bring this invasion about, walking away with Ukraine swinging on a political and actual Russian gibbet, will bring the next world war, a callous coward's war, closer to us. Right. Okay, I'm, I'm going to skip the middle part and talk about what you say. Um, the dire situation now follows WEF communist and other leaders, such as German uh, Chancellor Mrs. Merkel and President Putin, having secret Gazprom supply meetings of sweetheart deals for Germany and the EU to complete dependence and blackmail and refusing then non-controversial Ukraine membership of NATO, this was the proposed follow-up of giving up its nuclear weapons for Russia and the West's interest in exchange for its signed protection in the Budapest Memorandum and Memorandum on Security Assurances. Um, and then you mentioned WEF corruption again. So I'm going to try to, um, I guess, like scale back a little bit on the question. Your question is really broad, and you've brought in a number of international agreements and the WEF. So um, and I'm not expert on those um, particular elements, so I don't want to comment on that. What I can say is that there's clearly something really, really weird about this conflict, really, really corrupt. And now um, it's, it's just really, really dangerous because everybody uh, who's a player in this is upping the ante. And I think I just saw a press release about um, Joe Biden, Mr. Pudding Brain, uh, calling up some reserves. And that's very worrying. So I agree with you that there's certainly chances that this could uh, end up in a nuclear conflict, which I don't think is a great idea. And what worries me also is the the, the accounting, like, let's really talk about the accounting. There has been an absolutely colossal, an absolutely colossal, unimaginable, almost unquantifiable amount of money from every country in the world heading into Ukraine and heading out possibly elsewhere. And nobody thinks it's weird. Nobody's really saying stop. It's, it's astonishing. We need, before we proclaim World War III, to have some voices of a peace plan be more vocal and weaning Ukraine off of this unbelievable, unprecedented gravy train. You know, when this all started, I said, I can't root for either side. Like, again, I'll say it, I'm not a cheerleader for Putin, but I am certainly not a Ukraine cheerleader. And it was amazing to me how that became the new thing. And certainly I agree with you that there are definitely WEF fingerprints in all of this. It is very dangerous. It is very scary. And I don't see anybody with any plan to how, on how to walk it back. No voices on that. Just hearing Justin Trudeau and everybody else, all the usual suspects, talking about how we will be with Ukraine until the end. Like, what does that actually mean? Until Armageddon? 
like it's really not clear. So Sandra, I, I share your worry. Um, I think it has the potential to be even more dangerous than it is right now. I'm concerned that there's no accounting and I'm concerned that the people in charge of our various countries are just going to let it fester even further, escalate any, even further, and then go on to the next thing. Um, so I started off by saying I didn't want to be too pessimistic, but it's a very, very serious, serious issue in the world. And um, I don't see any adults in the world making any sense on it or with any, any thoughts on how to de-escalate Everybody in the world seems to just want to throw more money at it. And uh, that's not a brilliant solution. So yeah, sorry about the downer, uh, Sandra. <laughs> Again, it's, uh, you guys are welcome to put completely frivolous uh, and uh, lighter questions and comments. If you want me to talk about anything a little bit lighter, I would be happy to do so. Um, let's take a look. Um, do, 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 do. I'm going to, oh, it looks like actually, guys, we're actually a little bit short on questions today, which means that I can talk to you about a pet subject. I'm going to just sort of monologue it for a bit. And then if you want to discuss anything Israel related, you can let me know. But, um, a very interesting story hit the airwaves um, in Israel. It was just in Hebrew, so I don't think it made much coverage here. But there was a little interview with um, former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak, and he was actually bragging. This was really amazing. He was bragging about infiltrating anti-Netanyahu WhatsApp groups and um, all these different Facebook groups in order to get information on the on the quote enemy like he's he was describing it in such horrendous language and what's been going on is that Ehud Barak uh, also an acquaintance of Jeffrey Epstein we should remind everybody has been receiving uh donations it could be from NGOs from Europe or elsewhere or in America really in order to unseat Netanyahu and I'm sure you guys have seen in the news some of the protests, which are supposed to be, you know, pro-democracy and that people, these lovely fine souls in Israel are just worried about Israel become a, becoming a dictatorship under Netanyahu. But what, what's actually has happened is that the left in Israel, they, they saw their power diminished, like after the election of um, Menachem Begin in 1979, there was an ascension of the right. Um, meanwhile, the left, because they're actually smarter than the right wing and conservatives about the machinations of politics, they were like mad about it. But then they started to infiltrate every single political, educational, artistic, every institution in Israel and including the police and the army and started corrupting everything. So by the time new elections rolled around and also they were like in America, part of the permanent bureaucracy. So what they did was, as Mark has often mentioned, it doesn't matter who you elect if the permanent bureaucracy and all your institutions are captured. They basically are goading you with elections saying, you can go ahead and vote. That's fine, little bumpkin. 
go ahead and vote whatever silly right-wing conservative you want in. It's not going to matter on the ground. And it is really dangerous. So the leftists in Israel have basically brought Israel to the point of a civil war. They've been blocking highways. They're extremely well-funded. They have brand new flags, megaphones, money for buses coming from everywhere. And their excuse is that they don't want any reforms made to this to the structure of the Supreme Court in Israel. And really what that is about, I'll just tell you guys in a nutshell, that is about the right and conservatives and people who are democracy minded identifying the Supreme Court as really the left's final bastion of complete control over the country. So it's very dangerous. Um, I'm really concerned about Israel. And now the beginnings of civil war have sort of started in that the leftists have been blocking roads and highways, blocking the, the highways, blocking entrances to the airport. They ruined a lot of people's vacations and takeoffs and landings. And now people on the right are starting to take their vehicles and trucks and buses and they're parking them in front of the entrances to left-wing kibbutzes and not letting people get in or out or supplies in or out. So they're taking matters into their own hands. And the problem has been that the police have been corrupted, so they weren't doing anything to remove the demonstrators. And Netanyahu has had to remove some police chiefs, notably in Tel Aviv, who were clearly on the side of the demonstrators. So... All this is to really say that you can see what's happening in Israel is a textbook example, and you can be absolutely assured that there's American approval and funding of a lot of these things, and that is it is being used as a blueprint for Trump as well. You can be absolutely assured that anything that's being tested by the left politically and procedurally in Israel is being observed and will be incorporated into the left's war the left's jihad against Donald Trump before he can possibly be be reelected. So it's something that I want you guys to keep your eye on. I'm not trying to be parochial about Jewish things or Israel things. It's just that I've noticed that things that start in Israel don't end in Israel. It really is a kind of laboratory. Unfortunately, it was a laboratory also under Netanyahu, which I'm highly critical of him for making Israel a laboratory for Corona, uh, for COVID vaccines and also um, a lab for uh, green passports and that sort of thing. I'm, I'm very against that. But again, like I said previously, you know, we can't throw in the garbage leaders who are not perfect according to our standards. We do have to, I think, stand by and identify people who get it mostly right and understand that they have human foibles and, and accept them warts and all if we're all kind of pulling in the same direction. So I just wanted to give you guys a warning about what's happening in Israel. If you feel like keeping an eye on it, do not trust the mainstream media, obviously. I generally point people towards um, the Israel Today newspaper, um, Caroline Glick, and um, uh, Israel National News. Those are usually better sources um, for information about what's going on there. And again, not, not to be parochial, just to show you that what what is going on there. there, there's ripple effects that you will feel in America and, and elsewhere in the world. And also, I think I should also just point out that when I mention things in terms of Israel or Jews, as the example, as the, we, I know I know a, a lot of you and myself included, we don't like to say canary in the coal mine. That's really not what I mean, but it's just things that are tested um, on the Jews. It, it never, it just never ends there. So keep an eye on that watch what's happening, see if you find any patterns. 
a lot of being prepared for a fight is is seeing patterns in history and in behavior. So I'd urge you guys just, you know, to keep your eyes open and see what you're seeing elsewhere around the world. Okay. Um, oh, I just saw Chris Davies left a little note um, that he's in London. Wow. Okay, Chris, that's really good to know. I'm glad to know. And hopefully you can uh, let us know of things really from a London perspective. You guys have just been suffering under that absolute monstrous little garden gnome, Sadiq Khan, that horrible guy who is balancing woke with left and Muslim uh, issues. It, it, he's just a horrendous guy. So thank you very much for that little bit. And we are going to go for some more questions here. Um, oh, George uh, Pereira. Why do I always mangle your name, George? I'm so sorry. It's like, it's, it's a tongue twister for me. I look at it and then like something mangles in my brain. So I'm going to call you George P. You got to bear with me uh, for this because it's just coming out as a word salad every time. Um, George says DNA testing companies besides the gender assigned at birth, who exactly is doing the assigning? I know really, right? I think they blame it on doctors, but whatever, have also admitted that when they have some percentage of DNA, they can't identify, they assign it as black. Look at all this stuff is just woke hooey. It is a, just a bunch of dog squeeze. The thing about the left and this, the kook left is that they have no interest at all in consistency. They don't want to stay in a lane. They can believe seven things at the same time. It doesn't matter. They lie all the time. They lie with at you with, with a straight face. They'll tell you it is sunny when it's pitch black dark out. So you can't trust anything they say. Was it Lillian Hellman? No, it might have been. No, I can't remember now. There's a great quote about, you know, everything that that person says or writes, including the dots on the I and the cross on the T is a complete lie. That's that's really what territory we're in. So it's all ridiculous. And I don't know, maybe this 23andMe will, maybe maybe a Bud Light situation will happen to them. They'll be Bud Lightified because they're going so crazy woke. Um, and again, I don't know why people are volunteering their, their DNA and their, at, at this scale for that information. Um, but whatever, have any of you guys done the 23andMe? I sure as heck I'm not going to do it. But if, if you have and you want to share your experience, if you got anything interesting, um, you can drop a note or leave a comment. We can uh, discuss it. Let us see what else have we got now. Uh, we've got a question from Matt. Hello, Matt. Uh, I was driving through a neighborhood in an adjoining town today and saw signs on quite a few lawns that said something like, we're all neighbors, hate has no home here. A wonderful message of tolerance, if they mean it, by, but all it means is now it's our time, you're not welcome here. The creepy left, which has supplanted much of the normal left, claims the right is intolerant, but all they're doing is replacing one intolerance with another. Why do they have such a blind spot about this or that? Part and parcel of dehumanizing the right, to answer your question about relaxing, how I relax, friends, writing, or even work if I need to take my mind off something, maybe not the best way to relax. I've actually found listening to music while cooking quite relaxing. Thank you, Matt, for that um, comment and question. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of dehumanizing going on. And um, it's pretty much just in one direction, as you've identified. And I think the best way to address it is just what Kathy Shadle used to say about people who are on that hard left and so angry and so joyless that at a certain point, even though we can get mad and frustrated with them, 
at a certain point, really the only thing is to ask, you know, what happened to you? What happened in your life that has resulted in you being like this and kind of show human grace and forgiveness where we can, um, which is which is hard to muster sometimes, but it is this, all those platitudes, hate has no home here. Boy, do they hate us, but they really, really hate us, but they're, they're just blind to that. And I don't think it's only people who make these, um, ideological conversions can see that they were full of hate and not as warm and fuzzy as they think they were, um, fighting on behalf of, of whoever. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day um, on the subway. Actually, I should remind myself it's not the greatest idea in Toronto to listen to the subway, uh, to listen to a podcast on the subway, because there's been a lot of really dangerous stuff happening downtown and on the subways and stuff. But anyways, I was listening, keeping my eyes open. And it was um, Brendan O'Neill, uh, the Spiked Online podcast, and he was talking to David, I think you, his name is pronounced Hersiani. He's... Um, a Jewish American guy, and he writes for the Federalist. But anyways, you don't have to listen to the whole podcast interview. But he had a phrase in describing this like, hyper woke demonstrating, um, really crazy activists left people as having um, Selma envy, you know, like, the the time in American history when people were really united against racism, like actual racism, they were sort of pure hearted for the most part, I think, even if they were naive. Um, and now that that's gone, everybody on that side of the political aisle needs a replacement and they have Selma envy. So I thought that was a really clever turn of phrase. And what it really means is that people who are angry and activists to that degree, and it, it is on left and right, although it's predominantly the culture supports um that fervor on the left, and it, I don't see it as much on the right. Um, that could be um, a confirmation bias on my part, but um, what we're talking about is people having meaning in their life. What what gives your life meaning? And it can't be politics. It has to be something that's beyond that. Otherwise, you sort of dehumanize yourself, you know? So art has talked about cooking, Art Art has been talked about as a relief. Music has been talked about as a relief. Literature, talking to friends, um, dancing, songwriting, um, going to a play. All of those are things that are full of human meaning. Church, belief, faith, family, those and obviously, above all, children. These are the things that give meaning to people's lives. Volunteering, doing for others. Um, and without that, you get really angry people. Um, so I think humans are, in their DNA, need meaning in their life. They need to feel important. They need to feel needed. And in an absence of that, a lot of dark forces can fill in that vacuum. Um, I, I may have mentioned, uh, you know, another rabbi that I really loved reading, still do, who passed away from cancer, unfortunately, a couple of years ago, was Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs in the UK. He was the chief rabbi. And he, there's a video, you guys can, can Google it or see it if you want. Uh, it's quite poignant. And he talked about the question 
that people in audiences around the world most asked. And um, you would think that people would ask him most about what's the meaning of life, um, will I find love, things on that plane. And he said in an interview that the question that people most asked about in all of his speaking experiences is that they would come up to him and say, hi, Rabbi, do you remember me? Now, I don't want dead radio airtime here, but if it was in person, I would be looking at you all and giving the proper pregnant pause and giving you a look. And the look would say, isn't that amazing? And it is amazing that the most asked thing was, do you remember me? Am I, was I important to you? Did I make a difference? Do you remember something about me? Did I have an impact? And I thought it was so beautiful. And I think those are the back to basics that we have to remember. It's very easy to get caught up in battles and in various wars amongst ourselves with other people. And we just have to remember that everybody's looking for meaning. Um, some people have had a very hard time and to respond with grace, to act with kindness if we can. And not if you're being tormented, obviously, and somebody's attacking you or wants to harm you. That's a different story. But just general interactions, general interactions with people. And unfortunately, the COVID years and the COVID policies put a real dent in that. They put a real dent in our ability to do regular human things. So I think everybody has to take a moment just to remember that. It was really lovely for Rabbi Sachs to relay that. I do think that it relates, Matt, to your to your comment and question. Um, well, at least I hope it does. Sometimes it fits together as a puzzle in my brain. And um, it could be that I'm not linking things together properly, but I do hope that you guys get my meaning. And if you feel like it, you can look up uh, that clip in particular. And I might include it again in um, an upcoming links because uh, it was really just so lovely. Okay, let us see. I'm going to take uh, this question. Oh, we're actually rolling along time-wise. Um, it's 3.50, so uh, we've got... We've got a good 10 minutes, but I do see, I'm going to take this question from Mark Scherer because he's calling me a delight. So I do have to take this one, guys. Okay, so Mark Scherer or Scherer writes, Laura, you're a delight. If time allows, the great Stein used to talk regularly and optimistically about India. Maybe I've just missed it, but I haven't heard anything from him him for a long time. I guess you mean Mark on India for a long time. If I'm understanding right, we're talking about 1.4 billion people with more economic and political freedom than they've ever had, keenly aware of the dangers of a radical Islam, a non-woke government that is a friend of Israel, healthy demographics, lots of traditional cultural values in a mostly good way, and lots of wonderful, talented people who are a regular part of business life in the country. Oh, and they kicked the butts of some Chinese soldiers in a mountain battle a couple of years ago. Is this some overlooked good news? First of all, Mark, thank you for your kind compliment. 
Um, you are quite right that Mark used to talk quite a bit uh, about India, also in terms of how um, the the legacies that were left by the British colon colonialists, that's a mouthful too, um, in terms of education and, and governance. And uh, you're quite right that uh, he hasn't gotten to India in a while. Um, and, I, and I'm sure that uh, you're right that he was thinking of it in terms of that massive population. They are a good ally. Um, here in Canada, you know, I think Justin Trudeau really mucked up our relationship with India by um, the, that crazy tour, that tour that he did of um, India with all his costumes and bringing along like a, a known Sikh um uh, I don't know if he was a terrorist himself or a funder, but just like a really inappropriate selection of guests and then dancing, uh, getting all dressed up. I think Mark called him looking like a Bollywood bridesmaid was his outfit and he got all the outfits together for his family. So Canada has sort of burnt that relationship with India. They are a very important and big country and they're going through a very hard time right now, obviously with the flooding really bad situation. And yes, um, a very, very good ally and close ally of Israel, Netanyahu, I know has done quite a lot to develop and culture that relationship. Um, I think what we have to understand, though, is that even India is going to be shopping around for allies because the United States has betrayed Western allies so badly. So there's going to be Western, traditional Western allies that are going to have more meetings, however cold or warm, with China, more cozying up there because they see what the strong horse is and just what that is going to mean in terms of political, geopolitical realignment in today's world. So um, it's very bad. And I hope that India pulls through their flooding issues. Honestly, I wish they have such brilliant people and technologies and stuff like that, but it's such a hard life there for people, the regular people. And the flooding, I'm no engineer, but these are seasonal floods. And certainly with all the brilliant people that they have there, I wonder why they can't um, kind of get it together in terms of the flooding and all the disease and the waste and the illness and the ruin that uh, follows this stuff. But I'm completely open and interested in hearing the perspective of people who have more experience with India, um, people who've been there, people who live there. Um, I would be interested in hearing from you guys. Um, I hope that answers a bit of your India uh, comments and questions. And if uh, there's more, feel free to, you know, drop drop a little bit more into the comments. Okay, um, let's see if we can take a few more here. <clears throat> uh, we've got somebody, we've got a question from Suzanne uh, Rennie. Hi, Laura. Speaking of Russia, I met somebody at the park while babysitting my grandkids this morning. The daycare flooded after yesterday's crazy storm here in Montreal, so grandma was gladly there to fill in. That's lovely. I am so excited about grandchildren in the future. That's wonderful. Anyway, uh, Suzanne asked him where he was originally from. Since he had an Eastern European accent, he hung his head and said, Russia, poor guy felt that with all that's happened 
since the Ukraine war, he was embarrassed to say so and even hesitates to say so. In any event, I think it's gotten completely ridiculous that asking someone where they're from is no longer acceptable. My late mother-in-law was Scottish and would proudly say where she was from whenever she was asked. When did asking someone where they're from be a question that's rude to ask anyways? Oh, well, glad you're here to fill in for Mark. Thanks, Suzanne. What a lovely anecdote you shared with us. Um, thank you. That's like little nuggets of joy. And I think we can all feel that through the airwaves and through your comments. Um, I think that's terrible. I, I mean, it's, it's, again, we're, we're not letting people clarify intentions, like intentions don't matter. It's just what people are interpreting. So where are you from is such an innocent question. It has no undertones of hate or racism. It's a matter of human curiosity and decency to start a conversation. And people have to stop shooting other people down in such a rude and hurtful way. Because it is important to be able to strike up a conversation with people and show that you're interested in something about them. That's what this is about. Basic manners. I mean, these it's basic human decency and manners. And I appreciate curiosity. And it the, the art of banter and flirting and conversation, these are lost arts that we need to rediscover and reclaim as well. So I think the anecdote is just encouraging people to engage in conversation, pitter-patter with strangers. And Suzanne, in that experience, I would just reiterate to somebody like that, that there is no reason to be ashamed. That's preposterous. All this ridiculous anti-Russia, anti-Russian um, posturing is just that. It's just puffy posturing. It's so, so awful. It's so unnecessary and so short-sighted and anti-human as well. So um, thank you for mentioning that you are glad I am here. I am certainly glad that I am here as well. And it looks like we have time for like maybe a couple more before I go back to all the Shabbat prep. Mr. C is holding the fort and it has been really relatively quiet in my house, but I do apologize for the sound of aircraft flying above. I thought that I had locked myself sufficiently um, hermetically in a room in my house that passes for a studio. But uh, if you guys heard the plane, uh, it everything's still okay here. I hope you guys were not too uh, disgruntled by that. Uh, let's see. Um, Alyssa, Alyssa is totally making up for a little bit of lack of questions. And she is explaining to me, Alyssa Angel, that the lack of questions, because a lot of the cool kids are on the road today. That is so true. Heading back from the cruise and, um, and didn't get the email because, because they're heading back about the, the prompt and that's fine. I will forgive everybody. It's totally fine. So we'll just talk about this last little bit that, uh, Alyssa has, um, asked about, and, and then we might have to wrap up because it's, uh, it's getting right there. So Alyssa says, um, a fun question, what movies or books does a Canadian Jewish mom recommend so we can learn a little bit either about Canadian or Jewish cultures? And I'm sorry about the stress and hardship right now for your family. I wish you and yours the best. Thank you so much, Alyssa. I really do appreciate that. Let's see books. Um, okay. So I guess if you want to know about, um, Jewish themes and little bits of primers on Jewish stuff. There's a book that I really like uh, called Toward a Meaningful Life. That's Toward a Meaningful Life. That's actually a book 
that was written by somebody who was um, an assistant to the late um, rabbi, uh, Lubavitch rabbi, and it's it's just wonderful. Then I would say there's another book that I'd recommend about learning about Judaism, which is um, the nine questions that people ask about Judaism. That's a really good one. Anything by Joseph Telushkin. Um, Dennis Prager has some good stuff about that. Um, another book that I always recommend to people, which is heartbreaking. It's out of print, I think, but maybe you can find it on Amazon or in some libraries. But it's um, it's a book of letters written from Yoni Netanyahu, um, Benjamin Netanyahu's brother who was killed in the Entebbe raid. It's, I think it's just called um, Letters from Yoni. Um, I read uh, Bibi's book, which is just called Bibi. Um, those are some good ones as a start. And let's see what else. You know, I'm going to give it uh, a little bit of thought. In terms of Canadian history, I think um, like Irving Abella is an author that has some good stuff. Um, and I will also, maybe I'll just put together like a little list of a few recommendations. Anybody listening who has recommendations can also put that together um, for me and I'll share any of the ones that I've read and can recommend personally. But Alyssa, I think that would be a really good start. And if you're on, um, if you're on like Instagram, there's a few people that I really like. Uh, there's obviously Manus Friedman. There's uh, a family called That Jewish Family, and they do a lot of re interesting reels about Judaism and Orthodox Judaism. A woman called Miriam, Miriam Ezeki, I think is her last name, and she like talks about life as an Orthodox Jewish woman. Really interesting stuff. I really, I really do like what, um, what she puts out there. Again, it's one of those times where you see like social media being used for the good. So I hope that's a good start. Um, let me just check if we can take one more quickie, and then, then I'm going to go because it is getting late. Um, oh, we do have a, a question from KD who's wondering about uh, after COVID lockdowns, monkeypox, gas stove bans, climate lockdowns, closing airports, 15 minute cities. Um, basically, KD is asking us like, what's next? Um, so I don't know what's exactly next, but I definitely can tell you that there's going to be a next. So just, uh, you know, keep your powder dry keep watching for patterns, stay as strong as you can, take care of all your people as much as you can. And um, if you spot something that you think is going to be the next thing, I'm definitely interested in hearing what you think it's going to be. Uh, we can maybe have a, a betting pool on that if you like. And um, yeah, it's, it's hard. 15 minute cities, they're definitely pushing really hard on that. So keep your eyes on that. And uh, let's get some suggestions going for what we think the next thing is. Um, you know, usually you can kind of decipher by some of the press conferences at the White House, press releases, or what the, you know, administration mouthpieces are sending out as trial balloons. Somebody who's really good at looking at that is, I think, um, Jack Posobiec. Uh, he really has radar for that on Twitter. Um, and Jesse Kelly has radar for that. Um, and there's others. So that's it. That's maybe how we're going to end today, uh, is a, a warning and a suggestion to keep your eyes peeled for the next thing to take care of one another. Let's all hope that all the cruisers 
get home safe and sound, that everybody is well, anybody that needs all of our prayers for for health and recovery and uh, good, good mental state, psychological body and mind to be doing well. Uh, let's offer up our prayers and hope that everybody uh, stays well. And I'll wrap it up here. It really was a pleasure uh, sitting in for, for the great Mark Stein, who we will hear much more from in the coming days. And I'm sure we'll hear all about the cruise and get those great shows to see and uh, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for all your questions. And please do feel free to send me a note or put a note in the comments if you feel like I've missed anything. And we'll see you next time. Have a great weekend, guys. Bye for now. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.